Okay guys, welcome back. Um, thank you for being with us for that entire month of October. That was great. Um, but now we're back. We're back with some true crime because we did an entire month of movies. <laughs> and now I can't think of anything worse than sit down and watch a movie. <laughs> it's like, mother, I crave violence. Mother can't do it. Um, so this week we're going to be doing a true crime episode, uh, just to have a break. And we might do another one next week, just to have a bit of a break from movies, uh, just overall. <laughs> I think the, the only film I've watched is when me and my roommate watched Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Oh, that's um, a good one. I haven't seen oh, it in a while. such a good movie. Oh. I think, I think the last time I saw it was like two, two, three years ago. Mm. Um. Roger told me he had never seen it, and I was like, that's a crime. That is a crime. And I got him to watch it, and he really liked it. So I was like, all right. I don't I, mean, I, I don't know what movie, last movie I watched, though. I honestly, I probably, it's probably the same. I don't think I've watched a movie since, mm-hmm. um, like, our, like, episodes and stuff. Uh, I've mostly just been watching, like, Supernatural, though. That's it. Oh it's TV God. shows. That's really it. I tried to watch an episode of Supernatural, and just my body just rejected it. I just, I couldn't. <laughs> Wait, did you start I from just, the beginning? I do it. I, yeah, I, I started from season one. And it was like, well, I was just like, there's, there's, there's so many different, like, storylines that intertwine with each other throughout the, the first couple of seasons that I'm just like, I need to know what's going on right now. Um, yeah, I don't mean, yeah, I feel I, like... <laughs> I feel like once they got to like season seven or whenever they finish with like Sam not having a soul, I think it's like a new, they kind of forgot everything else before that and just like started Can new I just stuff. say how much I fucking hated that storyline? Oh, the soulless Sam? I despised it. Soulless Sam was the most annoying thing that I could possibly think of. It was just so annoying. Because he wasn't, he was um, just like a dick the whole time. Oh, he was just an absolute twat. He was just, he was just an asshole. Um, I watched the first episode of Supernatural season one and I just couldn't help but laugh because first of all, Dean's voice isn't as deep as it is now yes. and it's just so funny. It's like, dead we out on a hunting trip and then he's like, dead we went out on a hunting trip. And it's just like, dang, he, his balls dropped. It's like, <laughs> as, as the seasons progressed, his voice just got lower. Oh, it just went more depressed. <laughs> And I, I also, I also um, like how, like, because for the longest time, the way Cass talks, when you actually hear Misha mm. talk in real life, his voice is a little bit higher, so he also deepens his voice when he's cast. And I'm just like, yeah. did they just suddenly decide, like, every one of them? I think Sam is the only one, like, Jared's the only one that talks normal, but Dean and Sam, <laughs> are like, yo, just deepen your voice, you know, as, you know, deepen it for the show and everything. Embody your inner daddy. Inner daddy. Um. But, <clears throat> that's but what yeah, he's gonna so... call Cass soon. Oh, <laughs> oh. Um, I'm just happy that um, Jensen Ackles has gotten, I think, a new role in something. Uh, the Boys, or whatever it's called, The Boys. Yeah, he's... I cannot wait for him to be in The Boys. I just can't wait. I need to watch The Boys. I've been meaning to watch Same. it. Same. Um, but now that I know that Jensen Ackles is gonna be in it next season, I'm just like, I need to catch up. I need to. I need. I need to get myself situated. It's like they're finally um, free. <laughs> they are finally free, and I feel like that. It, it's like when. Um, 
you know, Chris Evans said he's going to take a break from acting once he finished with Captain America because he he did a little bit. He did um he did defending Jacob and Knives Out, but I I, I felt like he just needed to take a, a break from anything too strenuous because it he was just constantly at it for ten years. Yeah, and I, I just honestly how these actors even sleep, I don't understand. Um, acting is hard. I just feel like I just would be like if I were like to become like an actress and like did my first movie i'd probably be like i'm done i'm tired i don't wanna not anymore i um not that i like the show but there's a show called rain um it's about i think it's mary queen of scots i could be incorrect or mary bloody mary kind of um one of the queens um it's terrible. It's so historically inaccurate. Mm. It's really bad. It honestly, there's just one of the dresses looks like a prom dress that you would find in t- 2010. Like, it, and it's set in 1500s um, or something like that. And I'm just like, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, baby, what are you doing? Like they had this like lace neck thing going on and mm-hmm. I was like I'm pretty sure they did not have that <laughs> pretty sure um, but no yeah uh, the actress from that she has a TikTok and people were saying why are you complaining because you're rich because you are on a TV show and she ran down what first of all she ran down what like a typical filming day is like and she's up from like 6am until and going to bed at midnight sometimes if they're doing a night scene um and that's pretty much every day or, you know, depending on the character, they're there every single day for the duration of filming. And then she said, and then also how she's paid, like she gets $250,000 per episode. She goes, that sounds like a lot, but then I have to pay for my makeup artist, my agent, my, to be on TV. I sometimes have, people have to pay like a thing for TV. She goes, in the end, per episode, I make for myself $10,000, which she said is a lot, still a lot of money, but actors don't get as much as you think that they get unless they're big movie actors Mm -hmm. and i was just like dang that puts into perspective um uh yes yeah though people who people who do like supernatural let's say for supernatural like you know jensen ackles um they do that pretty much six months of the year every year since 2005 for 15 years and I hope they're millionaires, quite honestly, because if I had to do the same thing every single fucking year for 15 years... Oh, and don't forget the, the conventions. They did those conventions, conventions too. The, su- you did the, the supernatural conventions, too. The talk too. shows. The talk shows that they have to do. Like, could you imagine? Also, I feel like... Quite honestly. I feel like after a while, like I'll get... Especially when... Especially them doing those conventions, because they did it, like... I think they would finish filming and then like for like three months or something, they would do like those conventions nonstop. I feel like I was get so tired of seeing fans faces <laughs> like, and I get like, you know, like it's, I don't know. Like, I feel like for me, like, cause like for me, like I don't, I get tired of talking sometimes. Like I know I talk a lot sometimes, but like after a while I get tired of talking and I don't want to be bothered or like, I don't feel like having a conversation and just imagine, like, you constantly have to do conventions and meet fans and the constant fans talking to you mm. for a long period of time. And you're just like, I just want to go back to the hotel. Sleep. Yeah, I just want to sleep. 
I don't want to see any of y'all faces. I don't want to see any more. As much as I love Destiel, and it's like, I don't want to see any of y'all fan art anymore or y'all theories <laughs> on Destiel right now or, you know, all this. Mm. Yeah, I feel like I'll get I tired. Like it, it, yeah, I and I do, I do then feel super like, wow, they're the strongest fucking people if they did this for 15 years. That's just so fucking crazy. But anyway, yeah. we're not doing, we said we were. <laughs> we're not <laughs> No movies we're or TV shows. A, we're not doing it. Um, but this week we're doing true crime. Um, I think I'm, I'm first this week because you did the, because we had to really think about when, who was going to be first this week. Um, but Marie did uh, Terrence. Terrence Wood, Woods. Terrence La- Woods. Last the time. last time we did an episode. Uh, so I'm first this week. So kn- knuckle down, bitches. It's going to be a doozy. Um, <clears throat> honestly, this story is absolutely crazy. Like crazy. Um, like you could imagine this being a Hollywood movie. If I, I'm surprised that they haven't made a massive movie out of this because they would, they would win Oscars. Like some people would think, what the fuck did they add that in as Hollywood? No, that's what actually happened. Like it's mm. insane. Um, so I'm covering the 1976 Chowchilla bus ki- kidnapping. The what? Um, wait, say, say it again. The 1976 Chowchilla bus kidnapping. Okay. Now, obviously, we've talked like a few times now because we've done a few uh, disappearance episodes or like stories that involve disappearances um, through our last couple of uh, true crime episodes of how it must be just heartbreaking to find out that your child has been kidnapped. Um we've talked about that before obviously fuck it's awful um now just for a moment imagine just times that amount of heartache and times it by 26 because that is how many children were kidnapped at once on the 15th of july of 1976 in chowchilla california when a bus filled um of 26 children ages ranging from the age of 5 to 14 years old and their bus driver, Frank Edward, or Ed Ray, were kidnapped on a quiet road intersection. Um, and what is to come is 16 hours of complete and utter terror, bravery, and quick thinking of several children that leave... It's just unbelievable, the story. Um, just a quick, uh, a quick little background on Chowchilla. Because uh, it's just an interesting name in itself. It's apparently like a Native American word for like... like barbarian or like something like quite drastic like because they were mm-hmm. warrior a warrior tribe like they were quite a brutal tribe apparently but i don't know if that's just whitewashed by a bunch of white people that just didn't like the tribe and they're like they were monsters and i, I don't know um but the uh the little town I- I is built on native american grounds um nowadays as of 2010 it does have eighteen thousand people living there but uh when this took place i think i looked it up there was only about like just under just under ten thousand people so a very small town i think there's only like there's like two prisons there's obviously a school um and you know like most places in california it is so fucking hot most of the the year um perfect this takes in the middle of the i fucking do you know what when i went to palm springs i almost i do you know what though i I must admit when when i went to see you in baltimore i found the heat way harder to to 
um, get used to because it was humid heat. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I went to Palm Springs, which is in the middle of the desert, I found it much easier. I love because it's heat. dry. <laughs> it's really dry, dusty heat. And I actually found it a lot easier because I wasn't sweating because humidity obviously makes you sweat. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the desert, you don't... Well, you do obviously sweat, but I didn't sweat nearly as much as when I came to see you. <laughs> um, honestly, I, when I saw you, I just sweated in places I never thought I could sweat. <laughs> um, oh, it was just unbearable. Um, so yeah, it's in the middle of July, so you can imagine the heat. It's uh, sweltering. Uh, so Toasty. on Thursday afternoon, around... Uh, <laughs> around four o'clock in the afternoon um it's in the middle of like a holiday like you know like school holiday so um the kids aren't actually at school oh it's probably like Um, camp or something yeah it's like a little mini it's not like it's like a day camp so what they do is obviously because it's in the 70s um parents just worked like a normal shift pattern and the kids would just come home at four o'clock and it wasn't unusual for kids to be left alone in the house from like four o'clock until seven o'clock at night because their parents needed to work um the the bus was carrying students from Derryland elementary school and like i said before the ages ranged from the age of five to 14 years old um the bus driver was just beloved beloved by the kids like the kids loved him and he was called ed and they like lovingly called him edward um like they loved Ed. He's just, he's just so cool. Um, uh, he'd been the bus driver for twenty six years. He's super local. He's lived in Chowchilla all of his life. Like he he knows Chowchilla inside and out, um, and he knows everyone. So on this day, from driving the kids back, because what they did, because it's a day summer camp sort of thing. That what they did that day, they took him to a water park, and um, because during this incident some of the kids were still wearing their bathing suits so literally it's get the fuck on the bus we're going home there's no time to dry down on your towel you've got to get on the bus we're going we're going now um so on the day itself it's super super hot outside the kids um got on the bus to go home and ed the bus driver had started to um drop the kids off uh, to their homes and literally only a couple of kids you know been dropped off at this point um so so he stops at an intersection and that he stops because there's a broken down white van that blocks his path um you have to remember that remember ed is a super lovely guy and he is known to just help people like he he doesn't have to be his neighbor he'll just stop and help you um, so it was just, it was not unusual for him to stop and be like, I'm just going to go help this guy get off the road because you know, that's what I do. And as he goes and opens the bus doors, two men come into the bus. One is, um, holding a sword off shotgun and the other is seemingly weaponless. Um, and, uh, the kids see the gun they are terrified and ed you know he's got his hands up he's like you know what do you want sort of thing um the two assailants tell ed to get to the back of the bus with the kids 
Um, and all the kids are like muttering and whispering between themselves because they don't fully understand what's going on. Because remember, they're really young. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's such a small town. Nothing has ever happened like this, ever. So they haven't been like exposed to this sort of thing before. Um, the man with the gun, he starts to point it at the children and tells them to basically like shut up and not say anything. Um, the man without the gun goes into the driver's seat and drives the bus. Then the white van that they had Edward stopped to go and help starts to drive behind them mm-hmm. with the third assailant. So there's three men in total, and in a matter of minutes, they have kidnapped 26 children and their bus driver. So, holy shit, am I right? How could this get any weirder? So, <laughs> <laughs> like, can Honestly, how this story just progresses, it's insane. So I I heard about this story on an episode of My Favourite Murder, which is my favourite podcast of all time. Um, And they talk about the kids a lot. And I feel like I should talk, like, just occasionally just call them, like, on their names. Um, One of the kids that I I briefly watched a documentary and one of of these kids I just fucking loved because she's just so, like, haha, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and she was called Jennifer and she was nine at the time and she says that because um, remember Ed is super lovely to the kids the kids love Ed and they ask Ed what's going on and he just says really harshly and kind of like hushed to them go sit down be quiet do as they say um, which made all the kids just start to realise that they're in some form of danger and they need to do as they are told otherwise they might not survive Mm. so like all the kids at that moment realized the severity of it like they were like shit um so the kidnappers drive the bus through chowchilla's back roads and they end up driving the bus into a dried up riverbed i think they call it a slough um like a river slough so basically it's an old riverbed that they put concrete on top of so water can still run like on top of it Mm -hmm. and not flood it um but it had been overgrown with really tall trees and bamboo and thick bushes so when they drive into it nobody can see it this bus and the van um nobody can see it whatsoever um the kidnapper who drove the white van um parked another van which was green um up to the bus doors and he opens the van from the the rear and all of the kids are commanded one by one to jump into the van without touching the floor so that they don't leave any footprints to, you know, and that way it confuses any scent dogs that are sent to go after. Um, wow, these people, so I, I was about to say, like, these kind of, they kind of smart. What the heck? They are, they are smart, but then I tell you something later on and you'll just think, wow, these are some, some dumb bitches. <laughs> um, so they, they, obviously the white van is there as well. And obviously there's 26 kids. So they fill both vans with the children um, but these vans had been, uh, like, reconfigured inside. So what they had done is block off any window that was there. They blocked off any ventilation. It's pitch black. Um, remember, it's metal, so on a hot summer's day inside with no ventilation. With, oh, you know, no. Um, yeah, so, like, 13 kids, and then in one of them also had ed inside um and they breathe in each other's air yeah it's it's boiling hot and yeah um so and 
and they were not given any water at all. So they're dehydrating a lot. So um, uh, so they abandoned the school bus and it's left in the bushes. Like I said, nobody can see it uh, from ground. Uh, from the ground so the kids are inside they're in the dark with no water on a hot july day inside a metal shell essentially now some of these kids are siblings obviously it's a small town and jennifer from earlier is separated from her older brother jeff because jeff is in the first van and she is in the second so and um some of the kids remember her crying going i want jeff i want jeff like i want jeff like because she's scared she's you know a kid Mm -hmm. Um, and and now she doesn't know if her brother's dead or not because they don't know what they're doing to the other people in the other van. They don't know. Like I said, in the 70s, <laughs> um, parents would just let their kids go home and they would come home at 7 o'clock and most likely the kids were there and, you know, cool. Um, but for Jeff and Jennifer's mother, Joan Brown, she comes back uh, to the house and instead of, like, the house being obviously with two kids inside, probably play fighting, probably causing a mess. There was just, they were just, mm, the house was quiet. And she is quoted saying there was like no peanut butter on the counters like there always is because obviously they make themselves a sandwich when they come home from school. There's no chairs like just, you know, pulled out from the, the, the table mm. in the kitchen. She just says they just weren't there. And that terrified her. Um, but because obviously it's the 70s, <laughs> And nobody wanted to bother the police. They wait a little while before calling the police. Because um, I was reading, uh, talking of My Favourite Murder again, um, they have a book out called uh, Stay Sexy, Don't Get Murdered. And Karen talks about how she was one of these kids that would just come home. And from four o'clock until about six, seven o'clock, her mum wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. And it would just be her and her sister. And so what they would do, though, is like on a day off or on a vacation day the parents would just be like go out until um until the street lights come on like and then mm-hmm. come back when the street lights come on like you're out all day there's they don't just let you stay inside and my mum remembers that this happens to her but bear in mind she was a she would be a kid in the 60s um but her parents owned a and b so unless my mum was going to help with the b&b my nana would just be like to my uncle and my mum just be like get the fuck out like don't come out don't <laughs> come back until dinner just go um because you know kids are loud um however in joan's case jeff and jennifer's mother she starts to get worried after a few hours and she starts to call the mothers and fathers and realizes the extent of what's happening apart from the kids like i said who had been dropped off at the start of the journey home uh which were only a few of them um, none of the other kids have obviously come home. Um, and no one at school had uh, had seen the school bus or Ed since that morning when he arrived at work. So they call the police. Parents all cluster together and start to retrace the bus's route from their homes to the water park and back. And it isn't until the police do a check via the like a helicopter that they spot the bus in the riverbank. Because remember, it's super well hidden. Mm-hmm. And so they see it from a top. And so then they start to um, go to the school bus and they, they think, oh, maybe in some way, maybe he deroded and they just drove into the bush, like um, thinking that they would all be there. But um, <clears throat> obviously they find it empty. Um, there were no footprints and they didn't understand how they could have just disappeared. However, not long later, they spot the van's tire marks and they start to just dis- 
quickly decipher that uh, the kids and Ed had been loaded onto the vans and driven away from the bus, abandoning the bus completely for police to find. Like they wanted them to find the bus, but obviously to an extent where they long enough to to go by that they would be instantly found. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, yes, they are super clever, but remember, these guys are also fucking stupid, and I'll tell you why later on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they so messed up. The head of the they they do mess up like big time. Like it's just like oh you fucking idiot. So the head officer Chowchilla, Officer Fates. Um, of that the police department he calls up governor jerry brown and calls for help for the from the fbi pretty much immediately from that he you know because he just says there's 26 missing kids like and uh, and an adult like they are just vanished and the fbi pretty much come immediately and help with the effort to find kids and ed um i have to say i'm like for, for the 70s these cops have done pretty well. Like, they're, they're mm-hmm. on it. And um, from what we obviously we see on true crime TV programs, usually they're not. Um, uh, like, usually they suck, let's be honest. Um, yep. Meanwhile, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Danette and Jeanette Wilbrook. Um, <clears throat> uh, meanwhile, the kids and Ed are being driven in these small, cramped, dark, hot vans. Um, it's now 12 hours later. Remember, this is all intermingling at the same time. Um, it's now 12 hours later. There's no breaks to go to the bathroom. And remember, there's no ventilation either. Um, Jennifer remembers that some kids start to throw up from the motion sickness from not being able to see where they are going in the van. And it's country roads, so it's bumpy. Um, (laughs) so obviously now it's a hot van, but, and... Mixed There's with... no ventilation, and now kids are puking. Like, so good old smell of throw up. Oh, and all, and also some kids obviously couldn't hold their pee in anymore. Yeah, I want to and, say, like, uh, they probably would say, that's a beautiful mixture. <laughs> you know, delicious. Um, it's, it's like being a carer all over again. Um, <laughs> oh, you just threw up? Oh, great. Now you, oh, and now you peed. Great. Um... <laughs> It's literally like a horror movie when you think about it. It's you could imagine, like I was saying, this could be a blockbuster, like a a film, and it would just I you would think, what the fuck? I honestly feel like not to like <clears throat> the extent of like what actually happened. I feel like um, there was like an episode of like Hawaii Five O that did this, or like it what or it wasn't like that many kids. I think it was, like, probably 10 to 12. But, like, I feel like I saw an episode where they did that and, like, kidnapped a whole bus of kids. But I can't yeah, I remember. Yeah, and, yeah. I, I, it's not, like, I've, I, I think I might have watched, like, you know, like a daytime TV version of this. But mm-hmm. I don't know. If, I don't know. Um, by the way, I would just love to say I love the older kids in this story. So the teenagers, um... I love them, and they try to calm down the other kids, like alongside with Ed, who is in the other van. Um, and they start, um, they start to sing uh, little songs with them, um, that were like Aww. hits at the time. So, like they sang, they sang "Boogie Nights" by Heatwave, and "Love Will Keep Us Together" by Captain and Tanel, and oh, Tanil, and and you know they were trying to calm themselves down, but also trying to calm down these chill, like the you know youngest being five. Mm-hmm. Um, in this situation that they themselves are terrified. And I just thought, oh, these big kids, they're just so great. 
Um, and also the kids start singing, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. But they change the word to happy to sad. If you're and, sad and... Oh, no. So, if you're sad and you know it, clap your hands. Oh, like, that's so sad. Like, oh. it's just, my heart broke when I read that. Like, I was oh, just no. like, oh, these poor babies. Because they are, they're like, they're, the youngest is five. Yeah. That's a wee baby. That's a baby. Um, so, finally... At 3.30 in the morning on Friday, the vans stop and they start to open the doors of the vans. And the kidnappers, guns in tow, yank Ed out of one of the vans and just shut the doors. Oh, no. And the kids are terrified because now they wonder if they just took Ed off because obviously he's the adult to go and kill him. So the kids are terrified. Um, And they, again, they love Ed. Everyone loves Ed. And so they are like, what the fuck? They're going to kill Ed. Um, uh, the doors, they do open the doors again. And this is the pattern that they they do this in. They open the door. They yank the nearest kid from the van, close the door and repeat. And this is how they unload the vans. So not only are these kids now uh, alone, they don't know where their friends are going. They, could, it's pitch black outside. Could you just imagine being like the last kid to get picked? Oh, and oh, the, you literally just took the next bit of the story. I'm know. sorry. So it's fine. Um, I just want to tell the story. Um, <laughs> um it's pitch, you know, it's fine. Um, so sad story time. The oldest kid on the trip that day was a kid called Michael, and he went by Mike who was like 14 at the time of the kidnapping and he had to make the tough decision. He didn't know whether it would be worse to leave this. It was just him and this little girl, like a five-year-old girl left inside the van. And he didn't know if it would be worse that she would go outside there alone and leave Michael, if she would be more upset about that, or if he should go first and call up to her. If like, he said, if they didn't kill us, then maybe I can let her know that I'm alive somehow and call back to her and let her know that I'm okay. Um, So he leaves this five-year-old girl in the van, but he says it was the toughest decision of his life because he had to pry her hands from his arm. Oh, no. And and so she was left alone in the van, but... um, he thought that it would be she would be more upset and because she was scream crying that it they might hurt her if he she just goes out first and leaves mike behind Mm -hmm. um so he went first um so what they do so they actually don't hurt the kids or ed what they do is when they take these kids and ed out of the van they walk them over from the van to a ladder that is seemingly led to a hole in the ground It's obviously pitch dark and the kidnappers are ordering each child to climb down individually at gunpoint down the hole. And remember Jennifer? Mm -hmm. She says uh, when she got to that ladder, she thought, oh, they're sending us to hell. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh. Like, she was just like, oh. (laughs) Um, So inside the hole was something that none of the kids or Ed, I am sure, thought would be down there. They are all stored inside an underground bunker. There is no light, a small amount of ventilation, and a small hole makeshift toilet 
there's some water down there and there's a small amount of food. Um, all of the kids and Ed are secured inside of this bunker and told by the kidnappers that they'd be back for them soon. And then they lock them inside the bunker with a manhole cover. But then they hear the awful sound of material being thrown on top of the bunker, burying them essentially alive. No. Oh, I'd be literally hysterical. my worst nightmare. Like, literally my worst nightmare. I could not think of anything worse. Um, meanwhile, the parents are gathered by police in a press conference kind of situation, and the whole town are worried, obviously, fucking sick. Um, the police still don't understand how anyone would be able to kidnap 26 school children, excuse me, um, and a grown man in broad daylight in Chowchilla, and no one see the bus or the vans towing them. Um, the story, of course, it goes nationwide, and the media are crazy for this story, because... This is the biggest American kidnapping to have happened and to have happened since. Like, there's none, there's not been, I think, in America at all as big of a kidnapping as this. But the the, the police are further confused because there's not been a ransom call. Like, there's not been a call from the kidnappers asking for a ransom yet. So they don't understand what the mindset is of the kidnappers so um bear in mind again this is all happening correlating at the same time so um in total the 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 kids now they've been down there for a few hours and bear in mind that before that they had been driving for 12 hours in these vans to this hole so they had not had a drink of water for that time in a blistering hot Californian day. So they drank the water and ate the food really quickly because as you can imagine, they were fucking thirsty. And it's 20 something, um, 26 people. And 26 people. And, um, but what is worse than that? Like Ed, I think said in an, in an article, like he said, it's fine if we ran out of the water and that, but what we needed was air. And what happened was their worst nightmare happened because they heard, little fans going off in the distance to indicate that there was was some sort of ventilation going on that had turned off Uh, so now they were in this underground bunker with no food no water and now no ventilation awful awful like like i said a horror movie um so one of the kids um he remained unnamed i guess because of he's like six um, he gets really angry and upset, obviously. And uh, do you know what? I don't even blame him for what he does because I just think, I think I would do the same. So once their eyes adjust to the bunker, they see, they kind of see in, like outlines of things around them because their eyes adjust to the darkness. And um, there's four pillars holding up the ceiling of the bunker. And um, he starts to kick the pillars out of frustration each time he kicks it it starts to move the roof stop (laughs) so like obviously no um so it starts to to the roof starts to bow like inwards so yeah it gets worse um what no actually it starts to get okay um but it's just like just like um 
Meanwhile, Ed and uh, the older kids, like Mike, start to devise a plan of escape because in their minds they're like, well, if we die, we might as well die trying to get out. So they know that the manhole cover, that they there would be only one way out of that po- at, at that point. So they what they do, the inside the bunker, the kidnappers had left like loads of mattresses to keep the, them comfortable, I guess, like assholes. Um, so what they did, they put the, the mattresses on top of each other and they helped Mike Clark because he was like the thinnest and tallest. Like mm-hmm. they they got him to the top of the mattresses um, so he could reach the manhole cover. And um, oh, you will love this. This is, this is just so fucking hot. These kids are so fucking strong. And I in this situation, I think I would have just cried and cried and cried and not done anything. So he gets the manhole cover and he tries to move it. And obviously it's a manhole cover, which in itself is a very heavy thing. Mm. Um, But he realizes something is on top of it. So it's extra heavy. So he tries to push it. He, you know, it barely moves. Um, And Mike himself on the anniversary of like the coverage of the kidnapping, he said he didn't think he could do it. But the younger kids from below kept chanting at him. You can do it, Mike. You can do it. And like I, I'm crying now. Um, oh my god! So, like he, they were like, "You can do it, Mike. You can do it." Um, which he kept trying, and he tried his best, and try he did because eventually, the manhole cover did move, and when Mike pushed it, you know, it showed that Mike could eventually get it open if he gave it enough momentum. So Mike eventually gets the hole open enough to the side. So there's only about half a foot gap, uh-huh. I think. So there's just enough room for him to squeeze through. And so he squeezes himself out of this ma- this manhole cover. And then he realizes that he's inside of a box. So what the kidnappers have done is on top of the hole, put this box and stapled, like heavied it down. Um, so it wouldn't move. And on top of the manhole cover, they put these, you know, the old fashioned batteries, mm-hmm. like old 70s style, like batteries yeah. that were so fucking heavy, like machinery batteries. And then also loads of dirt. So no wonder it was fucking heavy. So he moves that off and moves the manhole cover completely away. And then he starts to punch the box to break through. <laughs> this is a 14-year-old boy. I, know, I just, just imagine. I don't know why I thought of some of this, like, he gets out and he's just, like, wailing on a box. <laughs> like, he starts he starts to seriously um, punch the, the box's wood. Because it's, it's only, it's not really a sturdy box. Because I don't think the pit kidnappers really thought that they would be able to get out in the first place. Oh, so so like, they, they literally put something just put, there. Yeah, they said, oh, let's put something here, make it look inconspicuous, and leave it. So Mike spends quite a while punching through the wood, and when he eventually does break through, there's a kid called Larry um, that was six at the time, and he put the image in your head. It's pitch dark. Um, and when Mike breaks through the wood, this ray of light falls into the bunker from where he had punched his arm through the hole and where the dust hit the sunlight larry said he it made it look like shooting stars oh all these kids are so wholesome they're so fucking wholesome so um mike steps outside the box like he kicks the rest of it 
and he makes sure the path path is clear because he doesn't know if the kidnappers are just waiting outside like he doesn't mm. know but um he all he says he saw was um hills and trees and which isn't much different to where he lives um because it's in the middle of nowhere um and ed then he ed then starts to make the climb up himself and he and mike get all of the kids outside of the bunker but um but by the do by the time they do this it's 8 p.m at night on july 16th so they had now been kidnapped and captive put in captivity for 16 hours Mm. um when jennifer gets outside and remembers that it looked like they were an incited sand dune um and she said that basically like do you know what sand dune is was like at like the beach or something or like the like yeah like a sand dune at the beach yeah yeah but they weren't at a beach it was just like loads of rows and rows of dirt and she said where it was um she said if the box wasn't there nobody would have known that they were ever there like she said we would never have been found like that's so so the box was just a marker to show where the manhole was. yeah oh okay yeah um so they start to all walk close together um and what mike and ed start to realize is in the distance they can hear engines running and metal like tinkering Mm -hmm. they don't know of course if this is the kidnappers but with the possibility it's actually safe people who can help them they follow the sound and when they finally get close enough everyone realizes that they're actually in a quarry they're in a what a quarry oh do you know what a quarry is it's like mining yeah like so they mine for minerals and um things like that so so imagine this because it's 8 p.m at night you're a quarry man whatever that you, you call yourself and you're doing the night shift at the quarry you turn around and see 26 kids and a grown man who look like they've literally been through hell come up from the distance all huddled together and telling you that they have to call the police mm-hmm. he's been like what <laughs> he's just like excuse me um it doesn't even bizarre doesn't even cover that i'm sure and so like i said that the kidnappers drove with the vans for 12 hours so the ed and the kids were thinking that they'd be like maybe a state away um they were not they were in the next town over from chelchilla called livermore and um it's actually only a couple of hours away but what the kidnappers had done is just loop back on themselves a few times to confuse the kids and anyone watching them so all right <laughs> so literally they're in the next town like next mm-hmm. town over so the police are obviously called and all the kids and ed are taken to a police station and given an over you know they're given like um prison inmate clothes mm-hmm. because they were in their bathing suits if you remember <laughs> like, yeah they're still in their bathing suits from earlier so they just gave them like prison inmate clothes and there's an image online um if you can ever find it of this six-year-old just wearing something that was made for a 30-year-old so it's just like oh like he's just taking this little prison overall thing and i'm just like oh my god so the the kids are obviously given loads of candy they're given snacks they're given soda um and then they load them oh and they take photos of the kids by the way there's loads of kids online if you Re, um, if you Google uh, the 1976 Chowchilla bus kidnapping, there is loads of pictures of the kids mm-hmm. because they. This was such an 
a weird thing to happen and especially for the kids to all survive. They then, after all that, they load them into another bus. Mm. This is so 70s. I'm just going to say, it's like, oh, you've got trauma? Here's (laughs) a bus. Here's a bus. Um, Those kids didn't want to get on. They take them to this... um, bad but i can understand why they did it but it's just all no they take them to this rehab center that used to be a prison because it's the only place in this little town that's big enough to hold all these kids like you couldn't take them to a hotel like a nice place they can shower have there's like comfy beds no you take them to a old prison (laughs) i i think it was an old prison it's either still a prison and there was they took him to the rehab bit attached to it or it was a rehab center that used to be a prison i am not sure um and jennifer remembers thinking oh are we in trouble right now oh my god (laughs) honestly jennifer's inner monologue is exactly what i would be thinking right now and she's nine oh my goodness um, once they were there, they were given more food and soda and all that, like, to stay hydrated and stuff. Doctors arrive to make sure that none of the kids in Ed are hurt. And they're given, apart from the fact that they were, like, severely dehydrated and obviously have a lot of trauma, they were fine. Um, they were then all questioned for four hours. Let these kids go home. Let them go home. Just let this, them, this way. And let Ed go home. Well, let I... Ed go home. I think he was... I think he was like a 55-year-old man. Let this man go home and have a nap. Like- I mean, I understand why they, like, probably right away did interviews because they want everything fresh in these kids' minds. But yeah, also, yeah. let these kids go home first. Let these go home. So then they let them go home to their parents. But guess how they got them there? A Another bus. bus! No, stop putting these kids on the bus. Stop it, please. These kids are exhausted, and so is Ed. And it's 4 a.m. by now. Because it, I bet those kids nap forever. They were like, oh, clock out. Let me just go to sleep for like 50 hours. Like, let me just sleep. Um, Mike remembers that when they were helped through the... Because basically when they got back to Chowchilla, obviously the press were there. And there was hound, like so many different news coverages of this. Um, and when the kids were let off the bus one by one, Mike remembers being helped, obviously with police escort, through the crowds of the press. And one of the journalists tap his shoulder and go, Hey Mike, what's the pit like? let these kids go home (laughs) let these kids go home mike was just like what the fuck um (laughs) leave these kids alone so the thing is these kids don't realize that their story had gone out so broadly across america like they didn't know what was happening so all of these journalists knew them all by name but they didn't know who they were like could you imagine how frightening that is like i bet I disassociate so hard at that point. I'd just be like, I'm not here. <laughs> mm. I'm not here anymore. Um, the sweet thing is, though, when Ed comes off of the bus, he is met with a crowd full of cheers and applause. Oh, Sweet baby. Um, the police return to the burial site where the bunker is, and they dig up a moving truck. <laughs> it was a moving truck, like an old-fashioned 70s... Um, moving truck the, 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 the police just realised it would have taken so much work 
to get this all planned. Um, so they start to obviously investigate the quarry itself and they see, um, they start to suspect soon the quarry, quarry's owner's son, who is a 24 year old Frederick Newell Woods, the fourth, I think. Um, it's Roman numerals. I don't know. Mm. Um, he fell under quickly under suspicion. Um, and he had more than enough free reign of the place that he could have put the, the, the moving truck in the quarry. Um, uh, him and his friends, uh, brothers James and Richard Schoenfeld, who are 24 and 22, had previously been convicted of grand theft auto, which um, they had been sentenced to, prob- to probation. Um so they had put the warrant out and um they went to the house of uh frederick because it was an old their old money they they're rich as fuck um so it's rich boy and nobody really understood apparently why a rich person would want to do this but hey ho rich people are <laughs> psychopaths um <laughs> so they go to the house and this is where <laughs> Sorry, this is this is the funny bit because um, <laughs> it's just like this is where they're dumb. Um, so this is where they're dumb. So the kidnappers were so basically they found out that they were the kidnappers, and how they found out was what they. <laughs> Sorry, because <laughs> it's just so fucking stupid. It's like I'm ready. So, so they went to the house uh-huh. where Frederick lived. And literally on his desk was a piece of paper that had plan written on it. And in this plan had all 26 people written on it, all the kids and Ed. And it had how they were going to do the plan to kidnap them. So they left the plan (laughs) out in the open. The plan. I just picture like on the desk plan. Like literally, it's a. You can look it up. It's literally a piece of paper, and literally in capital, like squiggly, like letters, it says plan. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm sorry that if you can hear that, guys, in the background, my neighbor does have um bipolar disorder and she hallucinates. So if you hear anything that m- makes you feel uncomfortable in the background, please know that she is being monitored by police. Um, we can't do anything about it right now, so I'm, I'm very sorry. Um, um, the kidnappers, so basically they are found out to be the kidnappers. And when they ask these three men why they, they didn't call the police, um, (laughs) for the ransom, for the, because they, they put on the note on the plan that they were going to do a $5 million ransom. Um, but the reason why they couldn't call it in was at the time of the media finding out about the kids being kidnapped, they... The phone lines were all full. They couldn't. They, they couldn't, couldn't make the call. <laughs> oh man! They so went through they all. Asked, they, were, they went through all that work, and then they're like, "Let's make that ransom now, guys!" And then they go to call, and they're like, "Phones are full." You may ask, "Why didn't you just keep trying, Dick? What the fuck?" The reason why they just gave up and they went to sleep. These are some lazy kidnappers now here is the good bit whilst they were asleep the kids had freed themselves so when they woke up and watched the news 
they saw that their victims had been freed. <laughs> they the most lousiest kidnappers. Oh my gosh. Like, like they started so strong. They started and, yeah, so strong. And then and it then just went downhill. <laughs> like, they're just like, they so, like half-assed the end of the plan. So the, one of the James Schofield, which was one of the brothers of the, the the two brothers, he was asked like, "Why did you, you know, um, why did you do it?" Um, <laughs> he said, "We needed multiple victims to get multiple millions, and if we picked children, because children are precious, the state would be willing to pay a ransom for them, and they don't fight back. They're vulnerable. They, they, they will mind." Yeah. So yeah, dick. Yeah. Um, cool. So um, let's just roll this up. So basically, obviously, they are arrested. And um, to not put it lightly, during the trial of this, the kids individually are questioned on the stand like most of them are. And Jennifer, um, outside of the court, was asked by one of the reporters. She, they, they say to her, like, why do you think the men did this? And she goes, oh, I don't know. Maybe they just didn't get a lot, a lot of love. Oh, zing. <laughs> just Jennifer, Jennifer, baby. Um, the men, um, so basically, obviously, they caused a lot of mental harm to the kids. The kids, um, in this uh, anniversary episode that you can find online, some of the kids, they're in, like, their, their, obviously, their late 40s, early 50s, maybe even older now, and they say that even to this day, like, Jennifer, um, on this interview, as an adult, said that it was only until recently she could sleep without the nightlight on. Aww. Like, so it fucked them up for years. Um, and the brothers were um, sentenced um, with grievous bodily harm under their belts. Um, so they were put in prison and um, Richard was released in 2012 um, and James was paroled on August 7th, 2015. In October, Frederick was denied parole for the 19th time. His next parole hearing is set for 2024. Um, over the years, the reasons given to the denials um, have included his continual minimization of his crime, as well as disciplinary infractions of for possession of contraband, pornography, and cell phones. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, so basically in the end um the kids were still um obviously terrored by it like they had a lot of ptsd going on um i didn't ed died in 2012 um and um you know he was old bless him he was he was an old boy um um on his so he was born on the the 26th of february uh, 1921 and so every day it was made by the the Chowchilla uh, mayor that every day, every year on February 26th, it'd be Edward Ray Day in Chowchilla. Aww. I'm sorry if you can hear my neighbour. It's really distracting me. So I'll try and get this done. Um, so, yeah, uh, some of the kids um, in the interview and I, I didn't have time to fully... Uh, research what how true this was but the um some of the kids like mike he said that he had a lot of um alcohol and and drug addiction after what happened to him um some of the kids still have ptsd to this day um you know it th what happened to them still affects them to mm. this day um so 
even though none of them died, even though none of them really had any physical harm done to them, um, their mental health, you know, remains to say otherwise. You know, some it's not all about the physicality of the of the crime. Sometimes it's the aftermath. Mm-hmm. Um, and these rich assholes are dicks. Um, but yeah, this is the um, that was the story of the child Schiller kidnappings of nineteen seventy six. Oof. I'm sorry, I ranted for about 50 minutes there. I, I, I do apologise. Um, and I do apologise again to anyone who can hear that in the background. My neighbour, she, she says some things that are quite questionable when she's having an episode. Um, so I do apologise if you heard her say something that you found quite offensive. Um, but yeah, I, we can't do anything about it. I do apologise. Uh, so yeah. I was going to say, like, at the beginning, you're like, you're surprised there wasn't, like, a movie. I'm like, just wait, Mark Mark Wahlberg is coming in. <gasps> Could he be Ed? Because you know that man, any, what was it, the last, like, he's done, like, three movies where they were, like, based on actual events, and he was in it. I'm like, the movie would just be called, was the town, <clears throat> what is the town name again? Chowchilla. Yeah, that's the movie title right there, just that. And it is stars Mark, Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's he's Ed. That's how it's going to be. He's Ed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see Mike being played by Finn Wolfhard. Um, yes. Definitely. Um, for sure, he is. But that story, when I read it, I was just, this is fucking insane. It's like, literally just take the kids from Stranger Things and it. And just the Rome in this movie, because that's pretty much all the kids they use right now. Then also, oh no no, you gotta get the other kid. Uh, not a kid. He he he's an adult, but like he played. Um, he can play one of the kind of older kids. Uh, shoot, the dude that was in Love Simon. Him, get him in here. I forgot his name. I think it's like Nick, maybe. Yeah, but get him in here. <laughs> Throw him in there. Yeah, that's. Uh, I was like, I have to tell this story because it's absolutely um, bonkers. Um, but yeah, the plan. I can't get over that. Just on the table. The, the plan. literally on the table plan. Plan. <laughs> Can't even put it away. Just left it out in the open for anyone to see. They just left it, mm. and they fell asleep. And when they it... woke up, they'd freed themselves. <laughs> Look, can you just imagine they're just they just wake up and they're like, ah, oh, okay, ready guys, let's go, let's go make this call, let's go uh, make this call, and then the one of them turns the TV on. They're like, yeah, you can put the phone down. We don't need to make the call anymore. And then they just all look at the TV, and all the kids are just standing there. <laughs> Mark Wahlberg just waving. <laughs> oh my god. Um. So yeah. <sighs> So, what's your story? All right. So, um, mine's mine's sad. Uh, mine's the murder of Shanda Sher. So, um, Shanda was 12-year-old at the time she died. Uh, she was born in June 6, 1979, in Pinesville, Kentucky. And her parents were Stephen and Jacqueline Cher, but then they later got 
divorce and then her mom remarried and then they moved to Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, she, Shanda uh, attended St. Paul, a school called St. Paul for her fifth and sixth, for fifth and sixth grade. And um, there she joined the cheerleading team, volleyball team, and softball team. Um, So very athletic kid, unlike me when I was in elementary school. (laughs) Did nothing. (laughs) Uh, Sat home all the time. So yeah, she, she was into sports and all that. Her mom ended up divorcing again. And then they moved to New Albany, Indiana, where she went to Hazelwood Middle School. But then later on, transferred to another school called Our Lady of Perpetual Help School, which is a Catholic school. Um, And I'll talk about why she got transferred later on. Um, But so it starts out, I'm going to give a backstory of the people who are involved with her murder, just a quick, because they're just teenage girls. Yeah. Um, So... First girl is Melinda Loveless. Uh, and let me also say all um, these. If that, huh? <laughs> if that doesn't say, if that doesn't like picture how um, much of a twat she is, Melinda Loveless. Melinda Loveless. That's like um, a comic book name. My mind. That's like. Um, <laughs> that's like Captain America. Um, in the you know, back of the nineteen thirties, and he is just going as a new villain. What's her name? Belinda Loveless. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! But she. So well, first of all, all these kids, all four girls, they kind of had like rough lives. Um, Melinda went through a lot when she was a kid. So. Um, she was born on October 28th, 1975, and lived in New Albany, Indiana. She was the youngest of three kids, and her parents were Larry and, uh, I had this name in my head, and I forgot how to pronounce it, uh, Marjorie, there you go. I was like, I, this whole time I was like saying her name in my head, I'm like, I'm gonna get this right. Larry and Marjorie was her parents. Uh, Larry was crap. Um, good old Larry, uh, he was drafted in the U.S. Army during the Vietnam War, and when he came home, everyone was like, oh, like, he's a hero, he went to war, uh, but, no, he was, he was crap. Um, he, (laughs) Marjorie described him as a sexual deviant, um, he was weird. He would apparently wear her, his, like, his wife and his kids' underwear and makeup. Um, he was incapable of being faithful, so he was always with other women. Um, and he had this, like, he, uh, had this jealousy fascination with Marjorie having sex with other men and women. Um, I later read that they were, like, swingers for a bit, so, like, I, I feel, I feel like he made her be, like, a swinger, because. Yeah, I mean, he's not, there's an entire 
section on Pornhub of just men watching their wives get dick down. Like, it's weird. <laughs> so when me and my friends are drunk, sometimes we just watch porn and just critique it. <laughs> <laughs> Not, why can't... Yo, why can my friends do this right now? <laughs> so... There was one time we were really drunk and uh-huh. we were just like, let's just find the funniest title. Just the funniest title. And it was like, um, I watched my mediocre wife get dicked down by a really handsome black man. And I was like, mediocre wife. Mediocre wife. <laughs> <laughs> and literally it was the most awkward 15 minutes of my life. Like she, she was a pretty woman. I don't, he looked like a foot. So I don't understand like where the mediocre thing came from, um, but it was just like he was like, ah, yes, this is the life, and the the black guy was just like, are you sure about this? <laughs> what? <laughs> what the heck? And me and my friends were just like, oh dear. <laughs> That makes me think of the uh, time. Sorry. That makes me think of the time where I was at a, I was at Oticon. It was last last year, um, and it's one of those things where as you I've been going to conventions since 2015. As you get older, you just get tired of doing the things you used to do at conventions. Because I remember, I remember that we used to stay out and go to the raves that they have like at like midnight at the cons and we wouldn't go to bed until like two three in the morning yo we were back at the hotel and we're like we're not going back to the con and this was like 10 o'clock at night (laughs) we like we don't feel like going back and so we were supposed to go to a panel because they have like the rated r like panels at like like 18 plus panels at night and one of the panels we were thinking of going to was like the hentai panel and we were just going to go to it for fun you know and everything because I went to one hentai panel before and it was just wild like awkward they were showing us clips from hentai and we were I was sitting there like what because I had never saw hentai before that and so I was just like what is going on now we ended up watching we just went on Pornhub and just like looked up hentai and all of us were just sitting there drinking our wine coolers just like what is this <laughs> like we were just hentai all this is, hentai is a weird breed of porn I, I... <laughs> like we all just sat there like people watch this <laughs> like there's um there's like a thing though what they do is that they reanimate certain scenes of like your favorite anime so these people like Real animators will look at how like a TV show, like an animated, like a, like an anime is is animated, and they'll reanimate a scene to be sex. And I'm just like, this is actually, they're actually really talented, <laughs> right? Like y'all, y'all, y'all really do that for this is your job, like this dang. is your job. What the? Oh, but I yeah. mean, it's it's fucking disturbing, but good for you. But yeah, sorry. Um, no, this swingers. <laughs> Thing is, this man uh just liked the idea of like his wife getting with other men and women. 
So um, he it went it got to the point where he would take his wife to the the bar and pretend to be a doctor or a dentist and be like, "Yo, this is my girlfriend," and um, they would get down and dirty with whoever. Um, so but also again, Marjorie like didn't really like I think I read it somewhere that she, she didn't want to do this like, but she just did it because like I like he was like he. He would beat her, I guess, like, when he when she wouldn't do it. So, like, she just went along with it. Um, so, uh, he, all, oh, this is another thing. He also shared her with his friends at work, too. Um, and then one, okay. yeah, man, this man's, throw this man away and him. lock him away in the third way to key. Uh. But yeah, so like one time during during a orgy, uh, like after I think afterwards, uh, she his wife uh, Marjorie tried to commit suicide. Um, but this is that wasn't like the last time she tried. She did try it like several times throughout Melinda's childhood. So at the age of five, uh, Melinda's parents also worked at Graceland Baptist Church, where Larry was a Baptist lay preacher. Um, and then he... Oh my yeah. <laughs> fucking god. What the fuck? Yeah. And so... Um, and Marjorie was a school nurse. Um, but then later, Larry became a marriage counselor, which is the last thing this man needs to be doing. Um, okay. Um, so he started to gain the reputation of being like too forward with women and then he eventually tried to rape someone and then after that they just left the church i mean at least he left the church yeah. <laughs> but it's like i i i hope he also got arrested but like there's at least they left the church it's like wait there's more at the age of nine uh well melinda was nine Larry had Marjorie gang raped. And then afterwards, she tried to drown herself. Um, Look, I don't blame Marjorie at all. I think I'd be a little bit fed up as well. Like, Jesus. Yeah, like, all the stuff she's gone through, like, and this man hasn't gone to jail yet. Um, and then at one point she, uh, refused to have sex with him for a couple months and then he raped her and while his kids, while their kids were at home. So they heard everything. Um, and then- I mean, it doesn't condone, it doesn't condone what Melinda obviously eventually ends up doing to someone, but d d damn, you can see where the damage came from. Yeah, so Sam, like, <laughs> so- Later, also, this is another incident at the at a bar one time. Uh, Larry beat Marjorie so bad that she was hospitalized, and the reason why he did it was because she wouldn't let him go home with two other women. Like I said, lock this man away and throw away the key, cause he's crap. You're a dick, Larry. You're just a dick, Larry. Um. So, couple more things. Just like a little sprinkle in here. Uh, when Melinda was fifteen. 
Larry was also caught spying on one of her friends. Um, and then reading this, I assume he was taken to court at some point through all of this. Uh, but I, the testimonies against this man. So it is said that he is claimed that he fondled Melinda as an infant, molested Marjorie's 13 year old sister, along with molesting a cousin of Melinda's from the age of 10 to 14. And then the cousin at one point also said that Larry had tied up the sisters, I guess like the kids. I don't know, I, it, was, it was weird. It said tied up the sisters in the garage and then raped them, but it wasn't confirmed though. Then good old Larry also uh, verbally abused his daughters and one time fired a handgun at Melinda's older sister, Michelle, when she was seven, and, t and he intentionally missed her. So it wasn't by accident. Like, he legit was like, so yeah, throw away Larry and throw away the key. Um, so that's Melinda. A little backstory on her, like, her childhood. Um, then we have Mary Lorene. Tackett or Lori. She was born in Madison, Indiana on October 5th, 1974. Uh, her mom was a fundamentalist at Pentecostal. Uh, she was a fundamentalist Pentecostal Christian. And her dad was a worker with two felony convictions. So basically what you're saying is all these girls had shit dads. All these kids kind of had like shitty parents basically um laurie said that she claimed that she was molested twice in her life as a kid at the age of five and twelve um this was a weird thing because i was like is it because like you didn't it was just this was just weird it said that apparently her mom one time tried to strangle her because she changed into jeans at school so i'm like was she like wearing like her parents like didn't allow her to wear pants so she was forced to wear skirts or something and she just changed what year was this again uh the 70s like probably like the 80s actually because like they were all born in the 70s so like the 80s 90s yeah i can see that if they were like conservative minded yeah. they might have wanted their kids to you know wear the gender conformed clothing yeah but i was like i was like strangled though like wearing jeans um, so social workers were called at this point and there was an agreement that they could come in unannounced to just check on the kids anytime to make sure like there was no abuse happening anymore. Um, after Lori's 15th birthday, uh, she became rebellious and fascinated with the occult. I bet she did. <laughs> and... To... I mean, why not, you know? Just <laughs> sprinkle the sugar on top of it, you know? Um... Right. Um, so, this also was weird. It's like, to impress her friends, she would sometimes pretend to be possessed by the spirit of Di uh, Diana the Vampire. As you did. I was, but I was like, I, I mean, like... I feel like all kids go through that. Not all kids, but, like, some kids go to a phase of, like, pretending to be a vampire. Like, I don't know about you, 
but um cringy fun not fun fact but cringy fact uh when i was in high school uh hot topic used to sell like these these fangs i think i told you this before they they would sell these little fangs that like you would um mold to your teeth but you can pop them out anytime yeah i used to wear those to school Oh, teenage Marie was a little, little golf girl. Because another girl, another friend of mine did it too. No, I think, no, two of my friends did it too. So all three of us were just going to school with these fangs that we bought from Hot Topic. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're just like, weird. <laughs> See, my, my mom and dad were very like, um, like, you can't... Didn't dictate of what I wore and what I didn't wear, but they were very much like, um, "Why buy that stuff? It's, you're not gonna wear it." You know. Oh, I wore it. <laughs> um, or they'd be like, um, "Charlotte, what the fuck?" Like, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, okay. <laughs> after that. Uh, Lori actually started to self-harm after she started dating a girl who did that as well. And her parents found out and she got checked into a hospital in March of 1991 where she was prescribed uh, antidepressants and, and then she was late, later on released. Yeah, a few days later, later after she was released, her along with her girlfriend and a friend of hers named Tony Lawrence, who also I will bring up later. Uh, she, Lori ended up cutting her wrists deeply and ended up back in the hospital. Um, they diagnosed Lori with borderline personality disorder and then later she actually confessed to experiencing hallucinations at a young age. They discharged her in April of that year, and then she dropped out of school in September later that year. And then Lori ended up staying in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I, she dropped out, but I think she moved out of her parents' house. So again, she's like 15, 16, 15, 16 around this time. Um, but she ended up staying in Louisville, Kentucky but with, like, different friends. So she was, like, couch hop or whatever it's called. Uh, and then... Um... This is when... This is also when she met Melinda. And then they became friends. And then she moved back to Madison with her parents on a promise that her dad would buy her a car. I she did. So basically she was like, Dad, I'm not coming home unless you buy me a car. And he was like, I bet... And then bought her a car. <laughs> All right, you bet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then she comes home and he's like, shit, I actually have to fucking buy a car. No, but after she got the car, she just spent a lot of time not at home. So she just, so she just kept going back to, like, Melinda's area, like, New Albany, and hanging out with her. So, next girl. We got Hope Rippy. So Hope was born in Madison. That's a cool name. Rippy. Um, Again, all of these girls have names that I would expect to see in like a comic book. They have cool sounding names. It's a shame that they're assholes. Right. Um, <laughs> so 
Hope was born in Madison, Indiana, like two, along with Melinda. Uh, I think, yeah, Melinda. Or no, Lori was born in Madison. Um, on June 9th, 1976, her dad was an engineer at a power plant, but they never really said what her mom did for a living. Um, so in February of 1984, Hope's parents divorced. She moved in with her mom and her siblings in Quincy, Michigan for three years. And then her parents got back together, uh, in eight, in 1987. I was about to say 18 something. Back in time. <laughs> 1987. And then moved back to Madison where she was reunited with her friends, Lori and Tony. She, uh, which she had, she had known both of them for a while because they were childhood friends. Um, I assume her parents didn't like Lori a lot, uh, because they also felt that she was, like, a bad influence, but, um, at the age of 12, she started to self-harm, I guess, like Lori did. Um, so, the next girl, this is the last, it was four girls, so this is the last girl, uh, is Tony Lawrence. And she was born in Madison, Indiana in February of 1976. Her dad was a maker, but they never said about her, anything about her mom. Um, she was close with, close friends with Hope. Um, and so at the age of nine, she was abused by a family member and then raped by a teenage boy when she was four, uh, not, at the age of nine, she was abused by a family member. And then at the age of 14, she was raped by a teenage boy. Mm-hmm. That's why all these all these girls just had went through stuff. Uh, Tony ended up going to counseling for a bit, but then she stopped. And then it said that she became promiscuous. She self-harmed and attempted suicide all in the eighth grade. So that's the four girls involved. So we get to uh, Shanda. So um, when Mel okay, a little bit back to Melinda for a hot second. So Melinda at 14, she was dating another girl named Amanda, uh, Heaven, Heverin, Amanda Heverin, there you go, um, and then once Melinda's dad, Larry, left the family, and he, oh yeah, he left the family and moved to Florida, and then they really didn't hear from him, like, so, Amanda's up and left, um, so, her mom ended up remarrying, and that's when Melinda started to act, like, differently. She got into fights. Um, she said that she had depression. That she ended up going for going to counseling for. And then, um, when she also, also, when she first told her mom about being a lesbian, her mom was pissed, like, furious and everything, but later accepted it. And then, um, but this also, this is around time that, her relationship with Amanda started to deteriorate. Um, oh. So Amanda met Shanda in the fall semester at Hazelwood Junior High when they got into a fight and they became friends while in, deten in detention. Um, and then soon they started to exchange romantic letters. So at the same time, again, uh, Melinda and Amanda, their relationship is like deteriorating and then Amanda is like, Amanda and Shanda's relationship is, like, growing. So, Melinda's jealous at this point of the relationship. And, um, she confronts both of them at the school dance. And then after the school dance, 
Melinda starts to plot to kill Shanda. Um, she starts to th- as you do. <laughs> she starts to threat. As you do, you know, <laughs> like as you do. Just... You know what? That's exactly what I want to do if I find out that my partner. You know, I mean, yes, I I'd be fucking pissed, but Jesus, murder is like another level. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you can be pissed off at someone, but Jesus Christ, she's like, yo, you saw you saw my girlfriend. I'm going to murder you now. And actually mean it. And yeah, and actually, yeah, go through with it. Um, so, after, like I said, after school dance, she starts plotting to kill Shanda. Uh, she threatens Shanda in public. And I actually, like, skimmed it. Uh, there was a Dr. Phil special where they did, like, interviews with the, the girls. Because they're now, like, probably, I think, like, what, 40s, probably. Um, and... Apparently, like, Melinda, like, sent letters to Amanda containing death threats toward Shanda. And Amanda had given the letters to, like, this youth prosecutor, but they ended up just never doing anything with it. Like, she said that, like, she doesn't, they never came to her about anything after that. So, like, basically, I guess they just was like, oh, it's whatever, kind of, like, tossed them aside, probably. So Amanda actually tried to to stop this happening. Yeah, like that's what in the interview. But then also like you can t- like like I said, I I watched a little bit of it, but also skimmed through it. In the interview, it seemed like uh, Shanda's mom didn't believe it though. She was like, "You didn't you you should be included in those four other girls. Like you didn't do anything to help." And, like, Amanda's just like, well, I gave the letters to the pros- the youth prosecutor, so I, you know, and then Shanda's mom is, like, not hearing it. But you can tell Shanda's mom did- I mean, just didn't like Amanda. Like, you can- like she's like, I blame I can, you, too. I can see, I can, yeah, I can see both points of view. I, could, I, I can see how Amanda might have thought that that was enough, but then I also can, I kind of agree with um, Shanda's mother that, she could have then maybe gone to the the principal or something. Mm-hmm. Um, she could have she could have even gone to Shanda's parents and been like, "Hey, by the way, I don't want to scare Shanda, but Jesus Christ, this my ex, crazy." Um, you know. Hmm. Hmm. I can see both sides on that. Yeah. So, um, I don't think yeah, I don't think the parents knew about the letters because they they knew about the threats though like the public threats and everything so they knew of melinda and everything um because they like ended up uh transferring that's like earlier when i said she transferred to a catholic school they transferred her out because they were concerned with like melinda and stuff so i don't think they knew about the letters though at the time so on january 10th 1992 tony lawrence hope rippy and Lori Tackett all drove to Melinda Loveless' house in New Albany. Um, before that night, Tony had before that night Tony had never met Melinda before, but Hope like met her once. And so when they arrived, Melinda had showed them a knife that she had got to scare Shanda. Um, Tony and Lori themselves have never met Shanda, uh, but and Melinda. Um, Melinda ended up telling them like she didn't like Shanda and that she felt Shanda was a copycat and stole her girlfriend. Right, right. So they all hop into Lori's car 
and drove out to Jeffersonville, Indiana, where Shanda lived with her dad on the weekends. And when they got to Shanda's house just before dark, Melinda told Hope and Tony to go to the door, introduce themselves as friends of Amanda, and invite Shanda to come see Amanda, who was supposed to be, supposedly, I can't, I am tongue twisted. She was supposed to be at this place called Witch's Castle, uh, which was a ruined stone house located on an isolated hill overlooking the Ohio River. Um, first of all, I just want to say if two people that I barely talked to came up to my house late. Oh, I wouldn't go with them. Yeah, like came up to my house late at night and was like, yeah, your significant other is waiting for you at this like sketchy location. You should come with us. I'm going to be like, um, no, good night, bye. And close the door. Um, good night. Like, I'm going to barricade my windows. <laughs> like, I'm not going out with you, so leave uh, me alone. Good night. Slam door. So, um, but Shanda, at first Shanda's like, she couldn't go because she, her parents was like still awake. But then tells him, come back at midnight. Shanda, sweetie. <laughs> like, just come back at midnight. So, also the thought of sneaking out always made me nervous. Like, I've never snuck out the house before. No, I, I've never snuck out either. Like, I've, um, I've had, because I've had friends that said they did, or like people I knew that said they did, and I'm just like, how... How could you like the like the confidence to do that or something like? Cause like, just skipping class makes me. Cause like, Pete, I knew a lot of people who skipped class too, and I've only skipped class once in my entire life, and that was a college class. And even then, I felt so nervous to do that. Like I was stressing, but like, yeah, I. But with me though, I never even attempted it because the way that my house is. Um, first of all, my, as you know, my room is the box room, um, but it's right directly next to my parents. So first of all, my door is very noisy when it opens. So my parents would hear me anyway. But then I hear you say, why don't you just climb out the window? Well, my bedroom window is directly on top of a gravel path. So even if I jumped out of the window, my parents would then hear me just land on gravel. (laughs) Yeah, it wouldn't work. Yeah. (laughs) So there was no way in hell that I could ever escape my household for a night out without my parents just being like, is she just trying to escape right now? Like, first of all, like, where am I going to go? Because, like, I mean, like, I think a lot of my friends didn't, like, I'm thinking of, like, high school-wise. Like, a lot of my friends, I don't think even had cars at the time. So, like, who's going to pick me up? And none of my friends lived near me because, like, um, a lot of my friends lived closer to like the high school and stuff so like i'm farther out so i'm like first of all like who's going to meet up with me around my neighborhood no one so it's not going to work but second of all i'm like why i mean also just like why would i sneak out though like i would like i said i when i was younger i stayed home a lot like play games watch tv so like where am i what am i going to be doing in the middle of the night nothing (laughs) But um, to be honest, my, my friends were very much like, let's only meet up specifically for this time. 
to be honest, apart from when we were teenagers, like I'd be like, oh, I'm going over this person's house. In reality, we were getting drunk in a play called, place called Crackhead Car Park. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, how I was plain straight up, how I was not kidnapped and murdered by someone when I was a teenager still baffles me to this day. Because <laughs> I straight up would hang out with um, friends of my friends so not even my friends and then my friends and we'd just all get really drunk um sometimes we would smoke the marijuana um and uh we would just stay and it's by the way like most of the time and i don't know it's cold where i live so like even in the summer in the night it would just start to get cooler so i straight up how i didn't die of hypothermia (laughs) just drunk off my tits at like 14 years old (laughs) i couldn't even do that i i couldn't even like say oh i'm going here and then lie and go somewhere i couldn't even do that that blew my mind when my one friend did that my one friend did that to me once she she told her mom that she was coming over to my house and then went somewhere else and i was like what she's like yeah if my like mom like calls you or like calls your house just say it like I'm like I told her I was there, and I'm just like, thanks for talking about this with me first. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay. Um, thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> but yeah, so um, they meet back at midnight. Yeah, so um, yeah, so like that's it, Linda. Uh, Shanda tells them to come back around midnight, um, and so. When Hope and Tony goes back to the car, Melinda is, like, pissed. Because she's like, yo, you're supposed to get Shanda to the car. Um, but they're like, nah, she, you know, she told us to come back at midnight. Because she's going to wait till her parents fall asleep. So, you know, while they are waiting for, um, while they're waiting for midnight, they go to a uh, punk rock show at a state park, at a skate park. Um... Hope and Tony, they end up losing interest in the show. And then they engage in sexual activity with two boys in Lori's car out in the parking lot. As you do. Yeah, as you do. Um, After they left the show, they went back to Shanda's house. And um, during the car ride to Shanda's house, uh, Melinda starts to say how she couldn't wait to kill Shanda. But then she's also like, oh, I'm just going to scare her with this knife and everything. Um, so it's just like, uh, okay, Melinda. Um, so they get back to Shanda's house around 1230 at night. Uh, but this, for some reason, Tony didn't want to go to the door to get her. So this time it's Lori and Hope that go back to get Shanda. Um, Melinda hides under a blanket in the back seat of the car with the knife and Hope tells Shanda that Amanda is still at the witch's castle, which I'm just like, yo, this girl, so you basically just said this girl stayed at the witch's castle place for like three hours probably or something. Like, okay. Right. Uh, so, I, well, at first Shanda is hesitant about going, but then she like changes her mind and goes with them. Um, when they get to the car, Hope starts to, like, question Shanda about her relationship with with Amanda, 
And then that's when Melinda jumps up from the back of the seat and puts the knife to Shanda's throat. And she starts interrogating her about her sexual relationship with Amanda. So. As you do. As you do. <laughs> um, so they drive all the way up to the witch's castle. And they take a sobbing Shanda inside. And they bound up her arms and legs with rope. And then Melinda starts to taunt Shanda, saying that she has, she has like, such pretty hair. Wonder how pretty she would look if they cut it all off. And then they take off all her jewelry, uh, including her little Mickey Mouse watch. And then, and then Lori starts to taunt Shanda as well, saying, telling her that the witch's castle was filled with human remains and that Shanda would be next. So... As you do. As you do. <laughs> this is every time something happens. As you do. <laughs> you know, as as you do on a daily basis, you just, you know, kidnap a girl and take her to a weird castle and tie her up and go, you know what? Wonder I'm going to just tell you that you're going to be a dead body soon. You know, as you do. <laughs> so then Laurie uh, ends up taking a shirt and lights it on fire but then they get kind of scared because they're like, oh, we lit the fire. And there's, because like a road is near where the where they're at. And they're like, what if a passing car sees it and stuff? So, you know, they pack up all the stuff, take Shanda back to the car. Um, and as they're taking her back to the car, Shanda's like begging to be taken back home. And this, this was like a weird part that I read. It was like Melinda, she like made Shanda take off her bra and swap it with Hope's bra, which was weird. I'm like, why, why are we swapping clothes? What's going on here? But okay. Um, they get back to the car, and they end up getting lost. So they go to a gas station to ask for, direct, ask for directions. Um, and while they're asking for directions, they just cover Shanda up in the backseat with a blanket. Um, then they leave that gas station, but end up getting lost again. And then stop at another gas station. Uh, while they're like asking for directions and trying to figure out where to go, Tony and Hope spot a couple of boys and, you know, they start talking to them, as you do. <laughs> as you, do. you know, as you do. And then, <laughs> and they leave, and then they arrive at the edge of the woods near Lori's house in Madison. Um, so they, they take... Uh, Lori takes them to a garage dump off the side of a road into a densely forest area. Tony and Hope stay in the car um, because they were too scared to get out. And Lori and Melinda takes Shanda out the car, takes her into the woods, strips her down naked, and then Melinda starts to beat her with her fists. And then okay, she okay. proceeds to slam Shanda's face into her knee causing her to cut her mouth on her braces. Um, this is where, like, I just, like, don't exactly know how, like, I, like, tried to, not picture, but, like, I'm just, like, that must have been so awful. Um, this, this part. Uh, Melinda tries to cut Shanda's throat, but couldn't because the knife was too dull. So I'm just, like, that is just awful. Because, like, it doesn't. It didn't say if like it went through, 
or so I'm just like oh like that's just so Hope ends up getting out the car and she meets up with uh, Lori and Melinda and she holds down Shanda while Lori and Melinda take turns stabbing Shanda in the chest. Then they strangle her with rope until she's unconscious and then they just chuck her into the trunk. And then they get in the car and they tell like I think I, I don't like I've it said they told Hope and Tony that Shanda was dead. But even though Shanda was the one like uh, not Shanda, Hope was the one that was like holding Shanda down. So maybe she like went to the car while they were throwing her in the trunk and they were like, Oh, she's dead. Um, but Lori drives back to her house with Shanda still in the trunk. They go inside her house, clean themselves up, have something to drink, and then they hear Shanda screaming from the trunk. So Lori goes out to the trunk, but with a paring knife, which is one of those knives that you use to peel um, like fruit and stuff or like potatoes and everything, stabs Shanda again and then comes back into the house and cleans herself up. And then they just take a hot second to uh, have Lori read them their future after that with her uh these stone rune stones she had as you do as you do <laughs> so around 2 30 a.m tony and hope actually stay behind at Lori's place while Lori and melinda just randomly decide to go for a drive uh to can canan indiana and while all while this whole time you know they're chilling in their house and they got in the car and drove off Shanda is still alive in the trunk, and they said that they could hear her crying and gurgling from the trunk as they were driving. So this is this is awful. Wow, assholes. Right. Um, Could you imagine how much in pain Shanda is? Right. She's in so much pain. And she's twelve. She's twelve. Twelve. She's fucking twelve, Melinda. She's not going to be fucking your girlfriend at twelve. That was another thing that her mom. Shanda's mom brought up, sorry to like, but, uh, in the Dr. Phil, I think she was saying because, because Amanda was like older, like I think, she, I think Amanda was like probably like 16, 17 maybe. And so I think, uh, Shanda's mom was like telling Amanda, like you were like, I think like a pedophile or something. Cause she was like old, like a lot older than Shanda was. Yeah. And then I think I think I'm not entirely sure. I can't remember Amanda was saying she's like, well, Shanda was okay like with it. Like with us being together and mm. stuff. So I was like, ooh. Um mm. so when they hear Shanda like crying and like crying gurgling in the back of the trunk, they stop the car and Lori opens the trunk. And Shanda sits up, covered in blood, eyes rolling to the back of her head, and she's unable to speak. Um, mm. Lori decides to take a tire iron and beat Shanna, Shanda with it until she goes quiet. And then tells Melinda, smell it. I assume the tire assume the tire iron is what she's talking about. I don't know, but these kids need help. Um... So they return back to Lori's house again. 
uh, to clean up. And Hope asks about Shanda, and Lori tells her, like, what happened, like, what they did. And then they leave. Oh, well, they, like, after they, like, uh, uh, after they left her in the trunk, they didn't leave. Uh, Lori's mom actually wakes up and tells Lori to take everyone home. Because, again, it's, like, in the middle of the night. And they're, like, probably, like, laughing it off, having a, to them, having a grand old time after murder. Um, and her mom is like, yo, cut it out, go home. And so Lori takes everyone home. Is Shanda still in the car? Shanda is still in the trunk. This whole time. So, they, before Lori even takes everybody home, they make one last stop. Um, at some burn pile and they open the trunk and they all just kind of stare at Shanda's body in the trunk. Uh, but Tony like also actually just didn't want to look. And then for some reason, Hope decided to spray Shanda with Windex and then say, you're not looking so hot now, are you? Fucking hell, Hope. Right? (laughs) So they, um... Oh, psych, no, it was not one last stop. They stop at another gas station near Madison Consolidated High School for some gas Mm -hmm. and a two-liter bottle of Pepsi. Uh, Lori... As you you do. As you do. But hold up, wait. Uh, Lori takes the Pepsi and pours it out and fills it with the gasoline. And then they... Yes... And then they drive up north past Jefferson Proving Grounds to Lemon Road. Tony ends up staying in the car while Lori and Hope wrap Shanda's body up in a blanket. And I will also say Shanda is still alive at this time. Um, Oh my god. They carry her to a field. And Lori makes Hope pour gasoline onto Shanda's body. And they set her on fire. And then... Huh? Death sentence. Just death sentence. Right? Just, yeah, this is it. Go on. Like, do you know what? Like, I'm sorry. Um, You killed a 12-year-old girl for the basis of the fact that you think that she'd be fucking your 16-year-old girlfriend without any proof that they were physical, without any proof that they were actually together at that time. You just thought, oh, man. Like, she... I'm gonna go and murder a girl for the for that fact you're no sorry go away (laughs) (laughs) go away but apparently that wasn't enough for melinda because she for some reason so she was like what if uh shanda's still alive uh do that all over again so they went back and burned her for a second time so this is this is the awful part well all that was awful but this is just like kind of messed up i just feel like after they did all this they went to mcdonald's and had breakfast. And I mean, you gotta you gotta fill your sociopathic psychopathic belly after stabbing a twelve year old to death and burning her alive. <laughs> gotta fill that tum tum with those nuggies. <laughs> no, this is the, this is the this is a, like a terrible thing for them to say. Here it goes. So it's it's a breakfast time, and they laughed at a sausage that they had because they said it looked like Shanda's body after being burned yeah what the fuck is wrong with this guys <laughs> yeah do you know what 
I was I was gonna have sausages for dinner tonight. I'm not gonna do that now. <laughs> You're like, well, there goes my dinner. Yeah, they. Well, there um, goes my dinner idea. <laughs> yeah, they laughed at her body because they said it looked like her body looked like the sausage they were eating. Um, and then this is this is what I was telling you earlier. I said, uh, uh, Tony actually took the time to call a friend apparently and to tell the friend about the murder and i was like i thought i was like could you imagine that conversation because like again this is like the 90s so there's no cell phone so you have to have used a pay phone outside so imagine like her just outside mcdonald's at a pay phone just casually like like boasting about how like they just killed the girl they're like yeah like guess what me and some friends just killed the girl and, and then, like, I just, like, picture her going at the end. Like, should have seen her. She looked like a McDonald's sausage. I mean, we shouldn't. I'm never going to be able to look at a sausage the same way. Wait, are we talking about an English-shaped sausage or how you Americans just sometimes have it? Uh, McDonald's sausages are very thin. Oh, okay. So picture, oh, like... that's even worse. That's even worse. Like, that's pick- even worse. I don't know why... I, I don't know why I asked that question thinking that one was slightly better than the other. It's not... <laughs> Like, picture, like, the, a finger length, like, the size of your finger. That's, like, a McDonald's sausage. I'm not okay. <laughs> it's terrible. I'm not okay. This whole thing is just it's terrible. Awful. Like... I hope they're still in jail, quite honestly. Um, they're not still in jail, are they? We'll get to they're that. They're not still in jail, are they? We'll, we'll get to I'm that. I'm gonna fucking... I'm gonna, I'm gonna go find them and kill them myself. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> We'll get to that. Hold on. So, um, they leave McDonald's, and Lori drops Tony and Hope off at their house, but then she goes back to Melinda's house, and they end up calling Amanda, and they're like, "Hey, guess what we just did? Uh, we killed Shanda." And um, but also they call Amanda and tell her that. Yeah, they're like, "We just killed Shanda, but also oh uh, get dressed because we're gonna come pick you up later to hang out." So see ya bye uh that's basically yeah that's what they did um and amanda was like you know what i'm not in the mood um no i will they said that she it said that amanda didn't believe them but i mean like you got those threatening letters stating that melinda was going to kill shanda so i don't know how you didn't think that was real but uh you know um also, another girl came in, but like she wasn't involved. Well, she wasn't involved with anything. She just happened to come over because she was a friend of like Melinda's and stuff. So she came over, and then Amanda came, got picked up, and they all went back to like Melinda's house. And then they all were like, "Yeah." So told both Amanda and the other friend, like, "Yeah, we um we murdered someone last night, or like this morning." Uh, and they didn't believe them at first until Lori showed them the trunk of her car with Shanda's bloody handprints and socks still inside the trunk. And then, yeah. I'm angry. I'm angry. Yeah, it's, it's just awful. And then Amanda is terrified at this point and she immediately wants to go home. Melinda then kisses Amanda when she takes her home tells her that she loves her, begs Amanda to not tell anyone what they had did, and then Amanda promises not to say anything. Your face, like... <laughs> like, that quick head turn. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm not. Mm, this makes me not want to have children even more. Yeah. Just. I'm not even good to adopt anymore. Like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not risking either my kid getting murdered or a bunch or a bunch of my kids just going, you know what I'm going to fucking do? I'm going to burn a girl, a girl alive. And then laugh at it. Like, mm. Yeah, they, they're like having a grand old time after they did this too. Like, they're like talking then, about it. And then make, and then, and then kiss Amanda. Mm-hmm. And go, hey, you know, hey, sweet cheeks. Um, please don't tell anyone about what I just told you. You know, the fact that I just fucking murdered someone. No, that's not how it works. Right, Amanda. After that, that morning, um, two brothers actually found Shanda's body. Uh, their names are Don and Ralph Foley. They were uh going out to. They were going out to go hunting and they noticed a body on the side of the road and they ended up, this was around like 1050 in the morning. Um, and they called the police and then the Jefferson County Sheriff, uh, Buck Shipley and other detectives arrived on scene to begin collecting evidence. So at first they thought that it was a drug deal gone bad. And that they were like, oh, it's not, it, it, this, like, was probably people from out of town that came in and did this. They didn't think it was, like, anyone local. Um, but, uh, the fact that they thought it was a drug deal gone bad shows how badly burnt Shanda's body was. Because they, cause they even said they couldn't identify her until her, they got her dental records. Oh, my God. So, basically... They collected evidence and then they did an autopsy and the condition of her body, uh, again, was awful. Um, the doc, the doctor, um, George Nicholas said in his autopsy, she was only wearing underwear at the time front and then from the waist up, her body was so badly burnt and it was third degree and fourth degree burns. Um, she had ligature, ligature marks on her wrists several lacerations on her head, neck, and legs. Her fingers were so messed up that they had to cut them off in order to take prints. And, um, like I said, they they couldn't recognize her. They had to remove her jaw so her dentist could make a positive ID on her. Um, and then they said, like, her tongue, like, protruded through her clenched teeth. This is also the messed up part. I was like, not only did they stab, beat, and burned this girl to death. They also, there was also uh, lacerations to her anus and rectum, indicating a blunt object had been inserted at least three and a half inches. And the extent of the rectal bleeding showed that she was alive at the time that they did this. Death penalty. <laughs> they all, this, here's, here's, this is, I think this is, definitely awful like again like i said all like throughout all of this is awful but i think this one part just is just messed up they said they discovered soot in sean uh shanda's airway indicating she was also alive when she was set on fire so she felt all of this and i that is just again like you said death penalty it's the fact that she was still alive it's the fact that they did just a put it in a weird like way of wording it and I don't mean it in 
the way it probably perceived. But the fact that they were so shit at killing her made it so that she felt every single thing. That, to me, is just the cruelest part of it, is, is that she didn't just die. She then felt probably a knife going up her, her, her anus. She probably felt the fire on her body before she died. Just... These yeah. girls deserve all of the the shit that happens to them. Yeah. Um, so, while, like, at the same time that her body was found, they had, like, again, they hadn't, like, uh, ID'd her yet. They just found the body. Her dad wakes up, and he noticed that she's missing. So he's, like, calling all the neighbors, friends, asking if they've, like, seen Shanda at all. Um, and he ends up calling her mom around, like, 1.45 p.m. And they end up meeting and uh, following a missing person report at the Clark County Sheriff's Department. Um, mm. At 8.20 that same day, Tony and Hope actually end up going to the Jefferson County Sheriff's Department with their parents and they confess and they gave their statements identifying the victim as shanda and then she they all named the other two like uh Lori and melinda as being involved um yeah. melinda and Lori were arrested on january 12th and the prosecution was immediately declared to try both melinda and Lori as adults but in the end all the girls were charged as adults and two avoid the death penalty they accepted plea bargains so they were supposed to get the uh, death penalty but they just like you know didn't yeah yeah so Lori and melinda were sentenced to 60 years to the indiana women's prison hope was sentenced to six years with 10 years suspended for mitigating cir circumstances plus 10 years of medium supervision probation and then on an appeal, a judge reduced the sentence to 35 years. In exchange for her cooperation, Tony was allowed to plead guilty to one count of criminal confinement and sentenced to a maximum of 20 years. So, we're almost done. Um, this is the part you're going to hate. Tony was released on December 14th, two thousand after serving nine years and she remained in parole until December 2002. Hope was released on April 28, 2006 after serving 14 years of her original sentence. She remained on supervised parole for five years until April 2011. Lori was released on January 11, 2018 on the 26th anniversary of Shanda's death after serving almost 26 years and has completed an additional year of parole. And then Melinda was released on September 5th, 2019, after serving 26 plus years in prison, and she will serve parole in Jefferson County, Kentucky. So all of them are out right now. <laughs> all of them are out. And then here's the sad part. I didn't know, because I was trying to figure out where can I like bring this up at, but this is the sad part. So Shanda's dad died of alcohol alcoholism in 2005 at the age of 53. It is said in an interview with Shanda's mom 
that Shanda's father was so destroyed by her death that he did everything he could to kill himself besides put a gun to his head. So he was so... And he probably feels like... He probably thinks that part of it is his fault because he was asleep. And, and it, it was, was like, his duty to look after her. Yeah. And I, it's not his fault. It's it's Melinda's fault for being a fucking bitch. I, don't, look, I, I get that their, their upbringings were awful. Awful upbringings. I wouldn't wish that upbringing on anyone. But that does not give you the 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 right to go and murder an innocent 12 year old girl like you don't have that right and i just i honestly just i hope i i hope for the rest of their lives that they suffer somehow yeah and this is also like a little minor thing a lot of people like didn't agree with it but in 2012 shanda's mom actually donated a dog named angel in Shanda's name to Melinda to train for the Indiana Canine Association Assistance Network program. So after killing her daughter, she later like you know gave um, donated a dog to Melinda, which is like a lot of people thought was weird, and they were like, eh, like that's just like because she killed your your kid. She obviously wants to show show some sort of humanity and. She's a bigger person than what I would be. But yeah, but um, that is the murder of Shanda Shearer. That is fucking awful. Right? I'm, yeah, I'm so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's fine. Only, you know, sorry that, that both of them were just kind of traumatic. Um, uh, yeah. I know some people say, well, they were they were teenagers. Da, 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 da. They knew what they were doing. Right? I'm saying, like, yeah, they, I, I don't know. I feel like, because, like, at a certain age, you know right from wrong. Like, you know mm. what you were doing. They knew what they were doing that night when they got in that car. Like, especially when Melinda was like, oh, I'm killing Shanda. Like, they knew mm. what they were getting themselves into. And then, like, in the, again, back to, like, that Dr. Phil interview, like, I skimmed over. Like, I can't remember which girl it was. Might have been Hope, maybe. But she was, like, sitting there, like... Yeah, I think it was Hope. And she was, like, you know, crying. And she's like, I'm so sorry, you know, for what I did. And it's, like... And I I think someone either in the comments or, like, the mom or something... Shannon's mom said it, but, like, they're, like... Basically, they were, like... How can you feel sorry that you were the one holding Shanda down? To be honest, I uh, I don't really know if I can go any longer this episode because I, I I need a minute. Um, because <laughs> that 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 was a story and a half. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry again again for the noise earlier. Um, that was a good story, but a terrible story. Um, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Sorry for cutting this a bit short at the end. Um, Cut it a bit short. We're, we're two hours and sixteen minutes in. No, I, I meant like just straight after the the. the your oh, like, I need to go because I emotionally cannot take this. Anymore. You need a minute. Um. So yeah. Um. We'll come back next week with. Maybe we should do a movie next true. week. Maybe we should emotionally. I don't know. We'll we'll talk about it. Um, <laughs> maybe we should take a moment um, and do a movie. <laughs> 
I just emotionally I can't. Um, <laughs> thank you for for listening <laughs> to this week's episode. We hope you've enjoyed it in some way. Although I hope you didn't enjoy it too much. Um, <laughs> uh, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe to to the channel, and um, don't forget, guys. Stay hydrated, take your meds, go to therapy, and stay spooky. Goodbye.